0: Episode 103, Dr. Cheryl Lentz, the academic entrepreneur, author of the book, Failure Has No Alibi, Learning from the Lessons Failure Teaches.
1: But many of us think we only get one shot at, and that's the biggest mistake we could ever make.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links and more, go to markgravencom mistake 103. Thanks for listening. Our guest today, Dr. Cheryl, is known as the academic entrepreneur, and in our messages back and forth about getting her onto the show, and I'll tell you more about her in a second, I think she, she is, I know, she's the perfect guest for this show because she said in that message, yes, I am the queen of failures. So Cheryl, thank you for that, and thank you for being here.
1: You are welcome. It's amazing to have that moniker so late in life, but hey, go big or go home.
0: Well, and there's a lot to talk about that. And some people wouldn't like that moniker or, you know, academic entrepreneur is a great moniker. Um, Queen of Failures is maybe not so much primary branding, but it's a great thing to say. So we'll have a chance to hear more um, from Dr. Cheryl about that today. But she is, among other things, a keynote speaker. She sits on faculty at five universities. She's the publish publisher, my mistake, <laughs> I make mistakes, sorry, sorry. She is the publisher at the Lentz Leadership Institute. She is the author of a book called Failure Has No Alibi, Learning from the Lessons Failure Teaches. So regular listeners are already understanding why she's the perfect guest. Um, she had a radio show. It's available uh, in podcast form still called Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner. So, um, Cheryl, I, again, I, I I almost feel like I, you, you should be hosting this show with all of your expertise and thoughts on this subject. So thanks again for being here.
1: Pleasure. Hopefully people will learn. And that's why I've agreed to be so vulnerable about that failure because it was many years as I tell my story before I could talk about this publicly. And this will hopefully help people get there sooner than I do.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And that, that's that's the hope here is you know recovering from mistakes, learning from them, being OK, um, talking about them. So, so Dr. Cheryl, what's your story? What What's your favorite mistake?
1: I'm not sure that it's my favorite one, but it's certainly the most one that gets most of the interest here. I was a classical musician. I've been playing since I was five years old. I was playing and planning to be a classical organist. Think Notre Dame, think Holy Name Cathedral, the big dogs, right? And so I had been accepted to a Big Ten university. I transferred into the school. One of the premier, you know, organists, Dr. Gerald Hamilton, had accepted me and I was the only undergrad in a graduate program. I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good a sophomore year. He walks into my practice room and essentially tells me, find a new line of work done. When you are a musician, you take what's called a jury. And it's supposed to help you move from an underclassman as a sophomore into being a junior. I wasn't allowed to take mine. I was dismissed from the program. No one's ever dismissed from the program. And I remember I can still hear the click of the door as he walks out of the practice room. And I'm sitting here going, I was prepared for a lot of contingencies. Not that one. And it was devastating. I was less than 20 years old. I had no idea. There wasn't a plan B. I mean, all of my friends, and they've had illustrious careers as band directors and classical musicians, and, and that wasn't to be for me. And so it took me a long time to process it. And it was something that's my TED Talk is now interesting um, as the idea of the anatomy of failure. But the idea is I didn't process failure. What I did is I ran from it. And I basically put my toys in the sandbox. I basically ran out the door and says, you don't want me. I don't want you. I'm out of here. And so I ran to my counselor to be able to say, well, what do I do? And so I was still able, able to salvage a career. Um, still graduated in four years with a stint in summer school. But here's the lesson, particularly now. This was forced compliance. This was not my choice, not my idea of a good time. I'm never even in my purview, not in the rearview mirror. But this was actually, and wait for it, a gift. Now, I did not recognize it as a gift back then. I recognized it. And here's what I heard. I suck. I am the worst thing ever. I'm never going to account for anything. Find a new line of work. Bye-bye. And that's all my professor said. And it was just such a harsh slap in the face. There wasn't a plan B. And so I had to, to I hate the word pivot, but I had to shift. And I was forced to shift. But here's why. I was able to be able to put that into a new career path. And my professor saved me from being yet another out of broke musician. It wasn't that I wasn't good. I wasn't good enough for the Olympic level. And that's what he was training. He was training Olympians. I didn't know that. I heard that I wasn't good at all. That's what we mostly process. And I really believe that if somebody, including him, would have helped me process this, might have stayed in the game of music. And so what did I do? I put that into a box. I put it in the back of my closet. I didn't play for more than 30 years. 30 years. Music was my sanctuary. Music was my church. Music is who I was. And I just said, nope, I'm done. Why? It was too painful. is what most of your guests will tell you here. I don't want to. You can't make me. It is too painful because I had to face the fact that I was not good enough. And that was too painful. So I didn't. And I had an amazing career after that, okay? And I've had since. I mean, a college career in particular. My junior and senior year are still the best years of my life because of certain things I would never have attempted, never have done. And this is not the first story, believe it or not. I lost the love of my life in college, too, and that's a whole other episode in and of itself. But the fact is, these were monumental, significant failures that changed the course of my life because I made a decision that was wrong.
0: And so... What, what you said there, just to go back and make sure I'm hearing you correctly, the, the mistake, as you put it, was running from that moment. What, Correct. I mean, if you could go back in time and give advice to your younger than 20 year old self, what might you have done differently as a way of reacting to that situation?
1: I would have been gentle. I would have loved me through that and said, you know what, what you're hearing is not what is real. Yes, you are not good enough to be an Olympian. But you've been playing since you were five years old and you're good enough just the way you are, regardless of what you can do. Because I could not at that time separate the two. We most often say who we are and what we do are integrated. And we think that if one is wrong, then the other is wrong. And I took it to heart that there was something wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with me. There was something wrong with the skill. The skill wasn't good enough to be at the Olympic. But it was still good enough. And I could have stayed in the business of you know music. I could have still played weddings, played at a lesser church, played somewhere else. I decided it was an all or nothing proposition because it was too painful to close my door. I would have liked to have told myself I was good enough because I've spent the last years trying to process not being good enough. And I was just fine back then the same way I am.
0: But I'm, I'm still, you know, I, not knowing um, that sort of, you know, hyper, hyper. Uh, I don't know if hyper-competitive is the right word, but to be at that high of a level. Like when I went to college, I uh, I decided at the end of high school to not pursue music performance. I was really seriously involved in, in, in as a percussionist and drummer. And I decided that wasn't for me. And I had a lot of friends in college who went for, through various stages of they wanted to be a performance major And I don't know if the circumstances are the same, but I think at some point they're told, you know, you don't, you're not going to play in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra someday. So you can go into music education, Um, which, you know, was a tough transition for for some of my friends I remember. But I'm I'm just curious, like, did you get indications during those two years that you you needed to step up or they're just like, no, fixed mindset, you don't have the talent, Cheryl, you're done?
1: Well... I should have made the comparison. I mean, again, I'm the only undergraduate and I'm in a league of graduate programs, right? So they're playing, and I know you don't know the repertoire, but they're playing Saint-Siennes. They're playing, you know, all of these pictures as an exhibition by Miss Gorsey. They're playing, you know, the, the CSO. And I'm playing my Bach cantatas and my Bach, you know, little things by comparison. And still, I was amazingly good from where I had come from. Absolutely. The problem is, is I wasn't, I mean, I was here to there for me. This is where I needed to be. And these I would sit there and listen to this man play it was magic, absolute magic. And I'd watch these graduate students and they would have that same ability to do it. I would just sit there in awe, going, wow, that's what I needed to be. Would I have eventually got there? Maybe, you know, Malcolm Gladwell likes to say 10,000 hours. By the way, I was also a drummer and percussionist and did senior drum chord. We we'll talk about that someday. Oh, um, all right, cool. But I had to make a choice. And this is the part that was hard is because being that musician, I couldn't be in the marching line, and I wanted to be and I auditioned for it. But my professor told me pick one or the other and I picked music and music and organ did not pick me back. And I couldn't get back into the marching line because now I was much kind of older. But this is the part you have to look at. What do you want? But here's another lesson. We often think when you're asking someone when they're preparing for college that they have to choose for the rest of their life in that moment, because those four years are all you get. And as you've discovered, I've moved 38 times since college. And as a military wife, I didn't have to choose just one. It's been fabulous. I have had so many amazing careers (laughs) because of being able to live in different places and live all over the world. And initially, I didn't see it that way. And so I think a lot of this is this frame of reference. We see our expectations, and that's all we see, and we have this yardstick because we measure ourselves against us, ourselves previously, ourselves in the future, and others around us. My biggest advice, break that damn yardstick right here, right now. (laughs) You are good enough the way you are. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else, and you can get more than one thing. So I was an organist for a couple of years. It didn't work out for me. I would have liked to have stayed in the game. But the game changed and I changed with it and I became a little sister at a fraternity and I became a sorority girl and did all these things I would have never expected to do. And now I have a a wonderful career talking about failure because I've been doing this my entire career, scared the heck out of a lot of people, including my bosses, because they would look at me and it's like, "Um, come again. You want to do what? You want to teach people how to fail? It's like, yeah, I want you to do it all the wrong way, as quick as you can, as fast as you can, get it out of your system. Let's go do it the right way because we like to be the right way. We like to be the expert. It feels cool. It feels good. The learning part. Yeah, not so cool. We got that pit in your stomach. And the fact that I've been a college professor for 21 years is a shock to everybody, including me, because it was never in the game. It was never the plan. So you go and you bloom where you're planted, but you really need to separate yourself and not beat yourself up because people come into your life to help you become who you're supposed to be. And unfortunately, I spent too much time here in my head, intellectually, logical, trying to protect. It's when I moved into my heart that things changed. And I thought it was very interesting that the music and the messengers have always been in my purview mark. I wasn't listening. I wasn't seeing. We see only that which we expect to see. When we start to see what's actually there, then I started to pick up on the cues. And the cues were every house I bought when I moved here into Gray's Lake. Every house had a baby grand piano, every single one. And I'm like, gosh, this is kind of curious. I mean, I've never (laughs) seen so many houses with baby grand pianos Is that all they have. I haven't been in the Midwest in 25 years. And she said, no, the house I'm in right now had two pianos, a baby grand and an upright in the basement. Neither one of them stayed. Hint, 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 hint. Interesting that Groundhog Day was yesterday because this is what life has done for you. you Play this Groundhog Day over and over and over until... Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's been there the whole time. How many of us do not see the message or the messenger? And so when a baby grand piano found me and I was actually interviewed, yes, interviewed not to buy, but to allow to buy a baby grand piano. And she sits in my uh, living room as we speak to be the next steward for the next 30 years. But I was found and I started to play again. Now, it was painful. You as a musician will know this. When you have the heart of hearts and you're a musician, being a musician is not, who you, or it's not what you do. It's who you are, your core. And I turned my back on my core. And I paid the price for it. But when I invited music back, it was like, hey, we've been here the whole time. Where have you been? We've been at the party. Come on in. And it took me months to finally get to the pain. And my dog no longer leaves the house anymore, although she used to. Um, I'm still a little bit hacked. Playing the piano is a different technique than playing the organ, but I couldn't put a pipe organ in the great room. But this is when my life shifted again. And there was that balance of saying, you know what, I could have had music in a different way. It would have looked differently, just like my diploma on the wall. It doesn't say music major on it. It doesn't say organ performance on it. But it still says the University of Illinois. And so sometimes life beats us up and says, you know what? This is where you're supposed to be. Would you stop trying to be a tree? You are a flower. And no matter how much you want to be a tree, you're never going to be a tree. You're going to be a flower. So stop fighting. And that's what the cliche fest comes. What we resist persists. If we can just kind of learn to let go. And everyone will tell you that, particularly when things, you know, was meant to be blown. What you have to do is learn is what was to be in here and what can you accept and what are you willing to do that? Because I could have kept grinding it out and I'd still be out of broke musician. But because my professor gave me the greatest gift of all. Now, he wasn't real nice about it. So I will tell you his bedside manner could use some improvement. But years later, I tried to go and apologize to him and to thank him. And I missed him because he had already passed away. And that to me is a great regret because I wanted to say thank you. I get it. I understand it. The problem is I understood it too, too late or later than I should have wouldn't it be great if we got the understanding when these things happened? I was 20 years old. I knew everything, right? Just ask me. And I didn't know everything, but I didn't know how to process anything. So instead of taking the mature way and to go through the pain, go through the valley of darkness, go through all of that processing, I said, Nope, that's it. I'm out of here. And that was it. And now I had to go through it as an adult and I understood it now. And I'm like, Oh, horror of not having my friend music in my sanctuary. But it took me some months to get it. And I don't have the chops back. Trust me, I'm nowhere as near. The older you get, the more dexterity you lose. But music is back. And so is everything went with it. And it's amazing how my life shifted again that it always had the opportunity. It's like Dorothy. Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. We always had the red shoes. I've got a pair in my office. I keep in there to remind me, you got the answers. You just got to ask the right questions. You got to see what's on the road. Not as you want it to be, but the way it is. And that's a hard thing that we don't learn. And to be honest, not everyone learns it ever. So I guess I'm grateful that it's still only a 30 year mistake, but
0: it's yeah. But I'm sorry. I didn't mean the, No, It's okay. You, you, I, I didn't think you finished the thought. It's okay, okay but.
1: No worries. Yeah, there. My, my point is to try and help people to look at it here and now and that's failure because we don't like that F word. We don't like how it makes us feel. We don't like fail. The point is, is if you're not willing to fail, you're not going to succeed. Failure is a learning process. That's all it is. But we don't like that F word at all. Because failure is not an option. No, failure is the only option. And if you got it, friends.
0: Well, and that's why I love, I love the title of you know that that show oh. you were doing, "Fail Faster, Succeed Sooner." Um, and then you know the book, "Failure Has No Alibi," um, because you know the subtitle of that book says, "Learning." from the lessons that failure teaches. And sometimes failure is the result of mistakes. And that's Sometimes failure is thrust upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting that you can draw on those college experiences and that you processed it and realized maybe what some of those struggles were. And so, you know, there's a phrase on your website. It says, I help people process failure, that's which I think is really powerful. Can, can you tell us, More about that, and um, you know why we react. I I, I know you're knowledgeable about you know how how our brains work, what happens in the brain. Tell tell
1: a little bit in there, and I also know how students learn, and we learn from three different ways of. But most of the time, I wish I could turn my students back to learning when they first learn to walk. When we're a two year old and we're learning to walk, the world is full of wonder. Walking is a tool; it's a means to an end. We're not looking to learn to walk. We are looking for a means to an end to get in life faster. The faster way to get there is to walk because we want that cookie mama's got. We want that toy that grandma's got. And if we learn to walk and get there all on our own, thank you very much when we get there today. But a lot of people, what does that two-year-old do? They get up, they try, they wiggle, they fall down. And then they giggle. And it's so funny. Watch a giggling two-year-old. They don't know that there's anything wrong with that. So they get up and they do it again. And they crawl backwards and forwards and they climb on trees and they climb on couches and they do all kinds of things wrong until they figure out going, oh, so it's just the one in front of the other. thing. Like, oh, I got this. And we get the rhythm and we get the, and then we got it. But they don't know there was anything wrong with how they got there. It was a game. It was a giggle fest. It was fantastic. Here's what we learn as adults. We learn that fear is painful. We learn that failure is painful. We learn that we don't want to be there anymore. So we learn this neat little word called avoidance. We don't do it. We won't feel it. If we don't go there, it doesn't exist. And so you can't go there because I've had an amazing life because I was willing to go through the valley of darkness and process it. We don't want to go there because it's going to be hurt. It's going to be painful. When I opened that piano leg, I didn't play for the first few weeks. It hurt my soul to have the fingers and the music. And I cried for almost probably a month as I started to try, I can't get emotional now, um, to try and bring that music back. Why? Because it wasn't just a skill. It was my soul. It was something I turned my back on because it was painful and I was afraid of it because I was told I was not good enough. And I believed it. Yeah. I was absolutely good enough, maybe not good enough to be an Olympian, maybe not good enough to play at Notre Dame Cathedral. I get that. That's a skill. Not all of us are Mozart. Not all of us come out of the womb being Madam Curry. But the fact is, we all have our gifts. And that forced compliance put me into a lane that showed me where I was supposed to be and what I'm good at. And I'm really good at a lot of things. And I'm really bad at a lot of other things. And we have to go through figuring out what it is, but many of us think we only get one shot at it. And that's the biggest mistake we could ever make. If you want to be able to do this, I'm now 53 years old. I've done lots of things. I'm reinventing myself again with now my TED talk that came out. I've wanted to do yep, that for congrats. 10 years. So I did it. I wanted to ride a Harley. I got my license. I wanted <laughs> to travel internationally. I did that too. Did I do it well? Um, the Harley thing, no. I actually dropped three bikes in training, and I remember getting my license and my professor going, you're going to do some more training before you get on the bike, right? You know? and, yeah, yeah. and no, I'm not a good, I prefer riding in the back of a Harley rather than on the front of it. I'm better there. Four wheels are safer in the convertible in the garage. But this is the part you have to try. How do you know? And a lot of us think, we're going to play it safe. That's what the deal is, Mark. We're going to play it safe. If I would have become that music educator because I wasn't good enough. Some people went that route thinking that was the only door open to me. It wasn't the only door. It was the safe path forward. If joy brings you in your heart, then sing in the shower, sing in your car, sing wherever it was. I didn't sing at all. And in my case, I'm not a, a vocalist. I'm a musician. I didn't play at all because it was too painful to be reminded that every time I would touch those ivories that I would hear you suck, that I was. I had to distance that and say, no, I wasn't good enough to be this, but I'm always good enough to be who I am. That's something we don't teach people. We teach skills. And now how many people have settled? I can't tell you how many people are in their careers, 30, 40, 50 years. They define themselves. They retire six months later, they're dead. They define themselves as what they did, not who they are. I can't wait for retirement. I've got a list of things to do. Why? I do not want any regrets. Um, On Frank Sinatra's grave. I don't know if people know this. It says the best is yet to come. Frank Sinatra is one of my heroes. I love his music. I had my birthday. I would. It's my regret. I never saw him live in concert, but I've been dancing to him ever since. I love what he says. It's just the ability. to Embrace life. I don't want to have any regrets when when the end comes. I want to know that Carol was here. She lived her life with poise and purpose. She screwed up all of it. Every major area in my life, I've screwed it up. I've been divorced twice. I'm one of those women. And you know what? I am happier than most people I know because I've not been willing to settle for second best. I'm not willing to settle for anything that I can't do. I either figure it out or I find a place for it. I'm still a musician. I still like drum corps. I still can play the sticks. I'm not good, but do we need to be? And so we have to decide what we're willing to do. And I don't think we get just one. I've had a variety of careers. And I struggled in the beginning because every two years as a military wife, we had to go somewhere else. And if I didn't like my job, yay. If I did like my job, boo. I have friends now all over the world of where I've lived that we still hang together, even with COVID. And that's the greatest part is now I have many families instead of one. So I want people to expand their thinking. Failure forced me to go into different lanes. And now I go there willingly. I am reinventing myself now with all kinds of stuff that I do with consulting and publishing and and playing and doing all kinds of things with music being back and people wonder why i have a lot of energy i have a lot of passion i have so much i want to do and i can't do it when i'm six feet under so you're going to see a lot of passion but i don't anyone no one will hear me say i wish i would have ain't gonna happen i can tell you what i will never do (laughs) i have vertigo and i'm not going to be bungee jumping anytime soon pretty certain no regret there but there are things that i see more people. No one ever died wishing they would work more. No one ever died not sitting there or what they did. They always lamented what they didn't. I will go down trying and rather will have tried and failed than never tried at all. And the happiness is my choice. My failure is my choice to try. My overwhelm, my resistance, all my choice. And that's the part that I would have told my younger self. Yeah, you can sit there and wallow. You can sit there and close that box. That's your choice. You're right to do that. But what if? just for the sake of argument you love this this is why you came to do this why close a piece of your soul instead of walking away i needed to find balance i didn't i ran as fast as my little legs could carry me and didn't listen until november of 2019 why 30 years i don't know there are other failures i have corrected since then there's only one big one that remains and i don't know if i'm gonna get a shot at that but i'm certainly it's a matter of being able to do what what brings you joy? And I will tell you a conversation with my dad is probably going to upset him. But he was my TED Talk as well because my parents didn't want me to be a music teacher either. So I get that. But the idea, I remember talking with my dad at a pinnacle moment before I went to college of deciding what I wanted to be when I grow up. And I told him, well, if I'm going to do this 40 hours a week, whatever the, this is, I better have be happy. I better, like, excited about this. And it gets me out of bed every day. And my dad looked at me and was like, what are you talking about? You take care of yourself. You take care of your family. You take care of your responsibilities. Being happy is not part of the equation. I was like, whoa, not this mama's baby girl. Mm-mm. I want to have that happiness factor. And so I've decided of looking. It's like, yeah, there are things that I don't particularly care all the time. But most of the time, I own my own business. Most of the time, I get to do great things with my students in professor land with the different universities that I play with and all the different podcasts I do. And if people wonder why, because I say yes, that's the other solution. Say yes. Um, FDR, remember our president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Perfect phrase. Feel the fear and do it anyway. People assume that I do and I'm not afraid. Oh, heck no. Watch my TED Talk. I was shaking in my boots in that stage. It was a huge opera house that I'm performing in front of. And there wasn't even an audience. And I speak all over the world. I was petrified. But it was the most amazing. And I can still remember being in my head in that moment while I'm speaking. And and when you watch the TED Talk, you'll hear this flubbing thing when I come out. That's when I was in my head. And I'm thinking, shut up, get out of here, finish this, and then you can go back. But in that moment, I was like, wow, you're doing this. It's so cool. And of course, then the words come out of my mouth, you know, it's really funny. But these are the things you've got to have the ability. And it all comes down to one simple question. What do you want? And what are you willing to do to get there? I'm not willing to settle. I've done that far too long. And so now I have an amazing life that a lot of people envy because I worked for it. I put it in motion and I will settle for nothing less. That's it.
0: Well, thanks, Dr. Cheryl. Um, I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to the TED Talk in uh, the show notes. People can check that out. If people want to find more about you online, where can they do that?
1: Easiest way uh, is drcherylens.com. That's my website. Uh, you'll see it. It's a speaker site. It has a lot of the things that I do. TED isn't on there yet, but it will be. It literally just came out yesterday. So we have a lot of gives you a little bit of where I've been in some of my keynote uh, performances. You can go and look at my YouTube videos. There's hundreds of them there. I try and do a weekly video for all of my students because I want to keep them in the game because I teach mostly online now and I have for a long period of time. But the idea is connection. And you need to be able to get connected with a coach, with a friend, with somebody that's going to help you get out of your head. So when failure comes, Welcome it, be able to survive, but have someone help you through it. You don't have to go through it alone. And that's really good lesson. So if you need me, come on my website. I'll sit there and chat with you for a day and show you some of the things I've done. It's not always easy, but it can be done. I'm proof.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that story. And thank you for um, the inspiring words. And uh, I'll call it uh, the pep talk.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I don't Anytime know if I needed you're...
0: it, but somebody listening does. <laughs>
1: Go look to my YouTube video again. I do weekly videos for my students. I get a little trouble from the academic side of me uh, because they're not always academic, they're motivational. Because in order to stay in the game, that really was today's message. this morning, it was the how do you stay in the game? And I think that's my longest risk of the fact I'm still here and I'm still standing and I'm not willing to settle for anything else because a lot of people give up, they just say, Oh, I'm just not good enough. Oh, I'm not. It's really easy to stay there, Mark. I'm sure you understand you've done it yourself. Oh, I'm not good enough. They told me. So. Yeah, you could settle for that. You could listen to that or I love that little word or you can get out of your head and go find out if they're right. And, and in my case, they weren't. So you want to be right. You want to be happy. I choose to be both. So good.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Cheryl, um, the academic entrepreneur. Again, you can f- learn more about here at CherylLentz.com. The book is Failure Has No Alibi, yep. there you go. Learning from the Lessons Failure Teaches. Uh, thanks again. Thanks for You're being You're
1: welcome. Here. Good luck, everyone, and fail faster, succeed sooner. I'm telling you, it works.
0: Thanks again to Cheryl for being our guest today, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. For more information, go to markraben.com slash mistake103. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.